1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Goes without saying, continual thanks for all of you who have been participating in our end-of-year survey. We We can now measure the responses in the hundreds, which is just... Phenomenal. So thank you to everybody. If you haven't yet given uh, as your feedback, please, please, please do so. We're going to run this until the end of this month, so you still have got a couple of weeks, but the, the sooner the better, really. Uh, there's a link in the MP3 file description for this episode, so you, you should be able to just click on that link. It just goes to a Google form. It'll take you 60 seconds max, I promise. Um, and uh, But if not, there's a link in the show notes at natelangston.com slash podcast, which you can also access via techpodcast.uk if you find that spelling easier. Now let's get on with the news, shall we? I'm um, going to start briefly with something that plays into the global news agenda, but there is a very UK-focused spin on this. Millions, potentially millions, of BT and Sky broadband customers could have been affected by a hack of hundreds of millions of Yahoo accounts. This week, Yahoo revealed it was hacked in 2014, specifically that data from more than a billion user accounts were compromised, making it the largest such breach in history. And as a result of both BT and Sky having outs- outsourced some of their email hosting in previous years to Yahoo, both companies issued statements to British customers who may be affected. Now, a BT spokesperson told The Guardian that, quote, a minority of BT broadband customers have a legacy email product from Yahoo, but apparently the company declined to say how big a minority was affected, and The Guardian notes the number could still be in the millions. And BT broadband customers may be affected if they have an email address ending in at btinternet.com, BT, uh, at btopenworld.com, or at talk21.com. And they have obviously released a statement and said that they're urgently investigating and sky has also issued a statement saying change your password you can do it online don't call us you can only do this online so in a nutshell another major hack for yahoo another major blow for yahoo that's currently going through uh the process of being bought by the u.s company verizon and another nod that you know if you're a customer of bt or sky and you might not think you're a customer of Yahoo, but you might be. So you might want to check. Well, I mean, this is a huge problem, isn't it? Because um, it
0: it not only is it um, a seventh of the world's population <laughs> caught up in this ridiculous fiasco of Yahoo, but also in this country particularly... It's going to be people who are perhaps not that technically literate. It's uh, the people who signed up for BT and Sky Broadband who um, just got given a Yahoo account uh, as a part of that. Um, I'm not even sure how much choice you get given when you uh, sign up for those things. It might actually happen automatically. But companies which um, have hacks like this, talk talk Yahoo, um, the, the penalties for that need to be so much more severe because... This is people's lives. I mean, there is so much data potentially included in this from email addresses, dates of birth and all that kind of stuff. Um, Aside from the sheer inconvenience of once again knowing that your email address is out there and you've got to, you know, and maybe a secondary email address if you've got one associated with the account. um, It's just a hassle. And i go on that, <clears throat> have I been pwned or whatever it is site to check in every now and then. And every time there's a new addition to the, when I put in my username or whatever, there's a new addition to the, uh, to the list of things that have, you know, companies that have given up my data because of their crap security. And some of them are companies I'm still using, you know, Plex ha- happened to them. Um, I have an account there. Um, there's a, there's a few of them oh, at Adobe. So, Bigger penalties, because I just don't think these companies are investing enough money and attention into the security.
1: Yahoo has said that the stolen data might have included names and email addresses, telephone numbers, dates of birth, encrypted passwords or hashed passwords, uh, and in some cases, encrypted or unencrypted security questions and answers. Now, they say that their investigation indicates that the information did not include passwords in plain text or payment details or bank account information. Now, they say they're notifying potentially affected users. Uh, Obviously, they're posting uh, information on the website as to how people um, can... And protect themselves change their username well change their passwords rather and they have also said they're invalidating any of the unencrypted security questions and answers um, that are associated with the accounts so that they can't be used elsewhere because the problem is have you noticed when you when you sign up for these services one of the default security questions is what is your mother's maiden name yeah I, uh,
0: yeah i mean you can't change your mother's maiden name so as soon as uh, as soon as your personal details are leaked in conjunction with that, then there is a chance that someone can call your bank or whatever and give those details. I mean, you know, there are some things that are, you know, we have data and it's used in this way and it's not used carefully enough. And uh, and then when, you know, and when, when you come to try and use it again, you know, you're putting yourself at risk, essentially um, a lot of people. Um and this is a really good idea. Get a password manager. Um you can use password managers to store other information as well as your username and password. So just randomly generate a um you know uh, answers to the questions for each account separately and just treat it like a password. Um, it's a, just a massive pain, and no one, no one wants to do it. And uh, we're all guilty, no matter how much involved in technology we are. We're all guilty of rubbish passwords um, and stuff like that. Because ultimately, do I care if my Netflix gets hacked? Well, I, I don't really. It's more important to me that it's easy for me to remember the password for Netflix. So, you know, the problem some... people
1: have is that they will use the same password for Netflix as other more important accounts. Yes. So that when Netflix gets hacked. The password is tried on other more important accounts, and because people have kept the same password, they can get access to those accounts.
0: But I don't blame people, though, yeah, you know, because security isn't in, it isn't good, it's, it's, it stands between you and the thing you want to do, it isn't the thing you want to do, so therefore, that makes it very difficult, anyway.
1: If you are a SkyBT customer, change your password, and we'll include some links to those relevant web pages in the show notes at natelangston.com slash podcast now a brief talking point I didn't want to skip over because we talked about this on episode 70 was the talk talk Hack of 2015. This is something they got fined about £400,000 for, which Ian and I had a a, a nice debate over being too (laughs) too small. And this week we found out that a teenager who admitted seven hacking offences connected to the TalkTalk breach was given a rehab order. Uh, He had his iPhone taken off him, uh, his hard drive taken off him. And he was also given, in addition to this 12-month rehab order, the line from the, uh, I assume, the the chairman of of the court, uh, your IT skills will always be there, just use them legally in future. Now, I find this hilarious because this, to me, is the equivalent of he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy, very Monty Python approach to uh, justice for children. And it also just made me sit there and think, Okay, yes, it was a bad breach and TalkTalk was embarrassed and they should have taken better precautions with their security. But, you know, hire this kid. Yeah. Give him a job. He said he was trying to show off to his mates. Which I can entirely believe at 17, yeah. if you have these kinds of skills, I can imagine that is something you would do to show off. If I had those skills at 17, I can't think it would be unreasonable to think I might not have tried something similar these days. Because it sounds like a laugh and it sounds inconsequential. Um, but he has some skills and he was able to find exploits. And that's the kind of thing that you know you, you kind of want to have on side. Kind of like games developers who hire game you know eh, gamers who who go around levels to find exploits in the code to complete the game really really quickly uh, they're the kind of people you want to get inside your company uh, to to help and so it makes me wonder if the next step for this might be this guy getting getting hired by talk talk pure hypothetical am i wrong um, am i wrong listeners am i wrong no
0: no no i mean i uh, the, the thing is in this particular case i'm not sure that he had as much skill as some other hackers have because TalkTalk was woefully underprotected in terms of how they gained access to the systems. I, I doesn't. It sounds like a child. Any child could have done it. Really. Um. I, I reckon my six-year-old might stand a chance. Um. If you just explained how to drop a database table. Um. But um. Yeah. I mean, like, like you. I I I feel like in a lot of these cases, particularly this one, it really. I don't. I think it would be better to just say, well, look, you know, this was. You know, you shouldn't do this. If you do it again, you're going to be in trouble. Um, But actually, all you've done is highlight a very, very serious lack of security at a company that should know better. Um, You know, I mean, I think I think giving him a rehabilitation order is probably about the right thing to do. But um, taking his iPhone off him is harsh. I don't know if I could survive that.
1: Oh, you're not kidding. I mean, that's that's worse than prison.
0: Wait, at least they did. At least they didn't do d- double whammy. It. I'm going to make a joke here. I don't believe this. At least they didn't switch his iPhone for a Windows phone. that's, oh. just, a, that's just a gag because
1: Windows phone's great. But that's you know. that's a sick Christmas burn, mate. Yeah, I know. That's a sick Christmas burn. What next? Poison in the turkey. <laughs> Anthrax in the Christmas cracker. Absolutely. That I like to have deadly christmases. You are an awful human being.
0: <laughs> That's nothing earlier. And my daughter who loves Alexa, more than she loves me, <laughs> asked Alexa to kill me. Wow. And then and then asked if it was possible to have asked Alexa if it was possible to have um an axe fall from the ceiling. Huh. So, something's going very wrong in this house.
1: Yes, that is <laughs> deeply tangential and concerning. <laughs> uh, mm, okay. Well, uh, May, may, feel free to cut that out Nate <laughs> yes well we'll we'll, say, we'll put it this way if, if it made it in the show didn't go that well <laughs> it has been a very slow news week I have it to has say been a very
0: slow news week.
1: you can always let us know your thoughts on topics like this uh, podcast at NatesLangson.com. you know what do you think should should happen to this uh, kid you know are we talking should he be employed are we talking he should be in jail are we talking give him a windows phone let us know your thoughts podcast at natelangson.com Before we move into an email that we had sent to podcast at natelangston.com, last week we talked about the launch of Mario, and we had a a, a, a frenzied debate about the requirement to be always on, always on connection uh, on your phone in order to play Mario, so if you go out of 4G or you go out of Wi-Fi the game is useless we we thought and we said we'd get back to you and find out whether this was terrible and affected people on the London Tube Network which only has Wi-Fi in the stations and not actually in the tunnels so I did a little test I did a little test I did some uh, on the ground research specifically for the listeners I got hold of the game which wasn't hard because it's on the iPhone and it's free Uh, and I went on a tube and here is how it works if you fire the game up when you have Wi-Fi you can start playing the level if you go out of signal of Wi-Fi while the level is still playing or if you enable airplay mode as I, as I did to just make absolutely sure there was no signal the level will carry on playing you can play to the end it won't kick you out of the game but when you get to the end of the level it won't register that you've completed it until you get back into Wi-Fi or some sort of signal so the it, it sort of falls somewhere in the middle of, uh, of of our fears which is that uh, yes you can't really do much with the game if you go anywhere out of signal but no it's not as extreme as if you're in a patchy area and your signal briefly drops out and you're midway through a game it's not going to boot you out so on balance it could
0: be worse it could be worse and, I, and actually it, it's it's about as good as i think we could have expected i'm still a bit disappointed that you can't play the actual levels offline i think
1: it's silly but hey ho Indeed. So we thought we'd let you know. Uh, let us know if you've been playing the game. Um, always interested to hear your thoughts. Um, I quite like it. I think as well,
0: as predicted, my kids adore it. Yeah. they think it's brilliant. Yeah, so they love going watching Mario run. Bob says Mario run. So so he can read. Well, no, but it's been explained to him, and he understands it's Mario, and he knows he's running, so he kind of gets it.
1: Good. Well, he's a sm- he's a smart kid. Maybe he'll grow up to be. Uh, A a hacker like your your elder, Uh, your your elder. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Send send them off to attack TalkTalk. Yes, indeed. Um, Or 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 don't. Well, let's delve into our email satchel uh, before we get to another couple of uh, smaller news stories. Had a very interesting email this week come in from nick now we've been talking in the past and have indeed on many occasions talked in the past about streaming music services and the pros and cons of such and nick wrote in with this he says maybe i'm missing something but i can't see why i would want to pay for streaming music not a bad start to the mail yeah it's, uh, it certainly gets your attention doesn't it oh, you, you can't you can't miss that can you i mean you see that written somewhere you're like i oh. I have to pay attention to the rest. Uh, So let's do that. Uh, He continues. He says, often I'll be listening on my Fio X7. It's a high-end audio player. Uh, And Shure SE846 earbuds. They're very nice, Nick. I've used those. They're lovely. Uh, Because he says he appreciates sound quality. And somewhere where I don't get signal, either Wi-Fi or phone. So he's listening, and he has no connectivity. So he has a large store of tunes on his Fio And he's not short of variety on there that he can call on at any one time. He says, I know I can store music offline from a streaming service, but I do that already. And the music I have, I can keep without paying for a sub. If I spent £10 a month, I'd probably end up spending more in a year than I do on purchasing music. I occasionally buy downloads, usually from Google as the bitrate is higher than Amazon, uh, or CDs, which I rip into high, he says, 320 kilobits per second MP3. So that's the highest level of MP3 you can go to. And often the CDs will be cheap secondhand. Very true. I can listen to new music on Spotify without having to pay. There's an occasional ad, but nowhere near as intrusive as listening to commercial radio. So his argument is he gets these things on CD, they're often cheaper. He keeps them forever without paying for a sub. The sound quality is at least as good as the very top level you can get, if not if not better. And so why would you pay £10 a month? And he has an idea for something that could encourage him to pay £10 a month for streaming. One thing I haven't been able to find anywhere is a truly random playlist. If I want to discover new music, I don't always want it to be like what I'm listening to. I don't want to choose a genre. I want serendipity or random serendipity but it doesn't seem to exist. So he wants he wants a playlist that's going to jump around from maybe classical music here the next song will be some groovy heavy metal the next song will be a pop song from the 80s.
0: I think it's I think it's a classic example of different things work for different people, don't they? Um <clears throat> I think when when, um, when when streaming services like Spotify came along, I immediately uh stopped paying for the small amount of music i was paying for and just started streaming um spotify's streaming quality is pretty good and i when i had google play music i i didn't mind the quality i thought it was fine uh and i have a really really high-end uh computer audio system that's uh, you know a really nice amp some nice speakers good headphones all that kind of jazz so i can tell the difference between poor and good but ultimately it's Spotify's good enough I think for, unless you're you know really studying or you play a huge volume and you want to be able to hear it you know without any any kind of problem at all um so I, it, it just worked for me uh, but again you're the flip side of it aren't you Nate? you you're you're, uh, you're the exact opposite you like to buy music you still buy CDs you know so i I just think every every service like this works differently for different people. I think it's good that Spotify has that free tier um and ultimately, I, I went through almost, I've, I've been through almost all of the streaming services. I've used Napster, Tidal, Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Music, and ultimately came back to Spotify because it's uh, it just works the best for me. Uh, I, I like Discover Weekly. I find it's quite good for sort of shepherding me into the direction of music that's like the music I've already listened to. Um, and it works quite well for me, so...
1: Yeah. I, ha- I have a, a system that has evolved in recent years because I, I used to be a firm buyer of, of CDs and I would rip CDs into lossless audio and I would put them on an iPod and listen through very nice headphones um, or onto my computer and have them play through a, a signal processor out of very nice headphones as well. Um, but recently I've, I've, I, I've been finding myself a, a very happy subscriber to Apple Music because it does the best of both things for me it allows me to keep my itunes library which i love i think i'm one of the few people that genuinely loves the itunes experience specifically you use it on a mac well well yes but no specifically it's because of the advanced amount of metadata that i have around my music now so i've had the same itunes library since 2005 uh, never once deleted it's followed me on all my computers i've i'm religious about things like letting songs Uh, finish so they get a play count and they get the last played mark on them that went last when you skipped them last the day you added them um, you know recently played all this kind of stuff because it allows me now to have a library that I can create these smart playlists where I give them criteria such as um, you know uh, give me give me 30 songs that have at least a play count of 10 so I must have liked them at, at some point enough to listen to them 10 times that I haven't listened to in Five years uh in these genres, if I want or, or not in, in these genres, whichever uh give me those songs and i get and I get a playlist of songs that I clearly liked f- at one point but are basically forgotten about. And it's a really nice way of rediscovering music in your own library, which you haven't heard for for some time. And you know that's maybe something that that could work for for Nick if he if he has enough music, um, he can almost make these these sorts of playlists himself, depending on what you're using to manage the service. Um, yeah. But but the, the the reason I really wanted to sort of throw this out and see if anybody else had some suggestions is how are you finding? your music recommendations you know what is the best way to serendipitously find new music not just you know this is new or it's this is like the thing you've been listening to for the last uh half an hour or it's like these albums you know what's what is there a smarter way to discover a variety of songs a variety of genres based on your general likes and tastes uh, and and what are you using if it's not spotify if it's not apple music if it's not Tidal, whatever it is let us know what what, what you're using and how you're finding that maybe that's something we can help answer a fellow listeners query with uh, and you can send those ideas to podcast at nate Let's talk about something that happened in the news this week. Uh, BBC Worldwide is partnering with ITV and the American entertainment company AMC Networks, which runs BBC America, to launch a new streaming service called BritBox. Now, essentially, it's a streaming video on demand service that will host the best, apparently, of British TV, but for American viewers. And according to TechCrunch, it promises to deliver the largest subscription library of British television Anywhere in the market today, presumably outside of the UK, and it will be streamed ad-free. Britbox itself says it will have thousands of hours of programmes, some of which have never been available commercially in the US before, and some will be online right after their UK broadcast, like EastEnders, the soap opera, Emmerdale, Holby City, as well as a wider catalogue that includes many shows I've never even heard of, New Blood, The Moonstone, In the Dark, no idea what they are, Cold Feet, Silent Witness, heard of those. Brideshead Head Revisited, sounds weird, never heard of it. Pride and Prejudice, Upstairs, Downstairs, Inspector Morse, Keeping Up Appearances, Faulty Towers. There's quite a long, a long list of those. And it's going to be available in the early part of next year on web and iOS, Android, Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast and so forth. Now, this seems like a really good idea to me because a lot of these shows, I don't believe, are commercially available. Certainly not in the same place outside of the UK. Very difficult to find these, I've heard.
0: So uh, this reminds me, Nate, of the email we got sent by uh, Steve a couple of weeks back, and we haven't actually had a chance to discuss it in full. But we've both read the email and the attached document. Uh, Steve uh, made a submission to Ofcom about the BBC, um, and it's quite interesting. And there's a lot in it. Um, uh, in fact, I think it's been published on the Ofcom website, so perhaps we could provide a link to it. But um, it, the the core of it is ultimately that you know the license fee is good. Some people don 't like it, but of course there 's a lot of revenue missing uh, and and Steve suggests that one of the things to do would be to open up the license fee to you know anyone in the world who wanted to pay it, basically. Um So, Steve says, "I believe, on the whole, the BBC licence fee is a good way of funding the BBC, as it helps the experienced broadcasting organisation to avoid the lowest common multiple pressure of delivering an advertising of uh, de- delivering advertising driven content often brings with it. Uh, opening the BBC licence fee to non UK residents would help to preserve its traditional role, while at the same time increasing greatly its revenue. So, you know, I I feel like that's kind of like partly what they're doing here." The problem I've always had with BBC Worldwide is that I never feel like it earns as much money as it probably could from the BBC's content. Um, But of course I don't run it, so it's probably slightly unfair of me to say that. But depending on how much revenue this brings in it could be a good thing and there's certainly demand for British TV in America isn't there
1: there absolutely is and I actually ran this by Tom Merritt Daily Tech News show uh, Tom Merritt and said you know like is this good like do you want this you're an American but you like British TV this must be like the perfect thing for you and uh, and Tom wrote back and says this is a very interesting launch for several reasons up until now the launch of BBC America uh, British TV was almost exclusively found on PBS our public broadcaster over time Though the lock has loosened, Doctor Who went to the Sci-Fi Channel when it returned instead of going back to PBS where it had traditionally been. Then it went to BBC America. Then Downton Abbey and Sherlock have stayed under the PBS side of things, uh, while the likes of Night Manager went to BBC America. And a service called Acorn has been trying to make a go of it uh, in dribs and drabs as well. So it's it's very scattered all over the place. Um, one thing a lot of VPNers have wanted is access to the iPlayer for non Brits, and this looks. Tom says, like the closest thing the networks can manage without risking their current distribution deals. And that those last three words are a huge part of this issue, current distribution deals, which is why it's so difficult to just open up the iPlayer worldwide. But doing it this way allows them to at least pick individual shows, secure those individual rights, and maybe build this out to be something that is effectively an iPlayer for the US. But in addition to ITV, but it should, of course, be pointed out, you know, ITV is massive and has huge amounts of programs that, that the US, will, uh, U.S. viewers would want. Um, but it doesn't have Channel 4. It doesn't have Channel 5. There's a lot missing. So maybe that's something that will, that will come into the fold in, uh, in later years. We'll keep our eye on it. It launches early next year. And if you're listening and think, yes, this is a great idea, uh, or if you want to tell us how you currently consume uh, British TV content, um, let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, let's check in with Tom Merritt of DailyTechNewsShow.com and hear about what's been going on in the global world of tech this week. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we discussed whether you can make a social network without trolls possible, talked about why on-demand delivery services have so much trouble raising money these days, discussed the show Codebreaker with Marketplace's Ben Johnson, analyzed why Facebook's fake news policy might be a portal to hell, and why Yahoo, or anyone else for that matter, would use MD5 to encrypt passwords. All that at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you, Nate. I think that's it ian i think we're done um so just a reminder to everyone please do the survey the links are in the description and on the show notes at natelikeson.com slash podcast uh we will be back next week with an episode of some description exactly what that is remains to be seen but we will do our best and of course thank you to everyone for listening to our show this year we are so grateful aren't we
0: we are very very grateful we've had a really good year actually haven't we it's some people moan about me and the itunes feedback but that's fine
1: ho ho hopefully still have them as listeners (laughs) next year absolutely you're all welcome whether you love me or not (laughs) i love you ian that's very kind of you and i love you too mate